Welcome to the Nifty Podcast presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. Hi, everybody. My name is Robert Bohorkas. I am part of the programming team for Nifty 2020. Uh, and today I'm excited to have a couple of the folks behind a film, Brown Bodies in a Far Sea, that was in our Slice of Life screening this year. We've got the director and the director of photography. Um, and so, yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Tell everybody who you are. Yeah, so I'm Joshua Coe, the writer and director and producer of Brown Bodies in a Far Sea. I'm Ethan Gogui, the cinematographer and editor for Brown Bodies in a Far Sea. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, guys. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you guys about this film. Um, and so to kind of just kick things off uh, for people that might be listening to this that haven't seen the film yet. Um, do you guys want to give us like a little kind of a summary plot synopsis, you know, however you want to summarize or give us the log line of the film itself, just to give people an idea of, you know, what, what the story is. So Brown Bodies in a Far Sea is... After hearing about an incoming hurricane, a young girl makes preparations to defend her home. Perfect. That's perfect. That's so simple. Perfect. That's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. So just to kind of get into it a little bit, what, um, you know, um, first things first, where did kind of the idea for the, for the movie come from, you know, and then, you know, what, how did it kind of develop and change as it went from idea to kind of the finished film that we have here? So the story came as sort of like my response to how I felt during the protest on Mauna Kea about the 30 meter telescope being built. And for me, I was born in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I lived here like most of my life, but I'm not like, I'm not Hawaiian by blood. So it was this weird sort of feeling to be like, to have this happen here and to see like, all everybody like coming together mm -hmm. and it made me sort of think about like what my place in all of it was so that's where the idea came from and because the first scene i came up with was that titular scene the brown body in a far sea mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. we see the little girl out like lost in this really big ocean yeah and so we built from there and so it was always kind of like abstract mm -hmm. and to tie it to tie it all together so to give like kind of like a narrative that people could follow that's where the hurricane came from mm -hmm. just to add that imminent danger to it sort of pulled it all together um as quick as i guess as it's succinct the way it is because i'm sure there's a lot to it can you tell me a little bit more about the that mount Kea event or the i think you said protests right yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that was and like what exactly was happening? Because I don't know that I am aware of it, and I'm sure other people listening might not know either. It's been this bit, there's this mountain on the big island of Hawaii called Mauna Kea, and it's been used for like scientific purposes for for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like they, there's multiple telescopes up there, and the big thing is that it's like it's sacred land. Got it. And so. Sort of the, the big thing with a 30 meter telescope is that it's like gigantic mm -hmm. and is going to like desecrate, like sort of maim the land. Mm -hmm. And so we're students at UH right now, or we were, we're graduated now. Yeah. But so during the time it was this really big event, like it was a big talking point in all of our classes. Yeah. We see like a lot of our peers going out 
like actually flying out to the to the mountain. And for me, when it was happening, I was I was studying abroad at the time. I was in Spain, and so I, like I was I would look on like Instagram, and I would see like my friends' stories, mm-hmm. and it sort of like affected me. Um, and so I'm curious a little bit since we got both of you here. What the um, I have a question that'll piggyback off that in a second, but um, you know, Ethan, when you were kind of brought in, you know, how much of uh, a conversation, or I guess how long of a conversation was there of kind of like, you know, kind of communicating the intent of the story, you know, because it it is kind of this you know larger event that is made really intimate through the actual story of the film with just the, you know, with the, the little girl and her mother. Um, and so I'm curious, like the conversation between you guys to kind of develop the, the visual language of the film, the look of the film. Um, and especially, um, you know, I noticed, I think it's a one-to-one aspect ratio too. And I'm curious about that choice as well. After working with Josh on like a couple of films, we've kind of developed a style that's mm-hmm. more naturalistic. I would like to say soft in a, in a expression, if I were to put it in one. Yeah. And, uh, after experimenting with that that style, we decided that, especially going into this film, we wanted to try to level that up in a in a mm-hmm. reason, like level that up in a way. We wanted to take the style to the next stage per se, and we felt like this would be the film to do it, if anything. So we had been talking for a decent amount of time. We knew like what we wanted in a sense, but when it comes to the way that I work more so, I am very intuitive per se when it comes to doing a lot of uh shots and whatnot i prefer to do more of a shot list instead of like a storyboard per se because the storyboard can be like a general outline of what we're looking for like a close-up or like a wide shot here but actually working on the set the day of yeah occasionally you'll find like little bits and pieces that you wouldn't have found when you went location scouting before i found so there was like little uh little things that we could change about the location to help improve the, the the story we're telling, to help improve the environment that we're trying to build the character around. Like, I think there's one scene where she goes to open up the, the cage that's holding up all the dogs. And as I was looking at it from before, I had realized, well, we had known that we wanted a wide shot. Mm-hmm. But something, in my opinion, was missing from the scene, and it was the element of foreground, I think. So we used a little bit, we grabbed like a bike from the side of the, the house and we just placed it in front to just add a little bit more character to the environment, make it look more lived in. Yeah. And we added that foreground element that made it so you could see the the levels, the planes of the actual shot itself. And it was just like little things like that we mostly adjust on set. And uh, it's like half intuition and half planning per se we like to let it flow three i love that um yeah i mean i think that that's um you know uh, best laid plans you know are kind of a thing that can you know once you get on set everything can change and you're like oh everything i thought i would want to do i want to do it differently now um and so i mean i i, I love that I, lo- I think it's a, a great lesson for you know people that watch movies to learn people that make movies to learn um so yeah that's that's awesome um and so to go back to kind of the inspiration of the movie um and kind of you know how it goes from it, the movie's about this Mount Achaia um, kind of you know conflict going on, but it's a much more localized um, kind of intimate story about um, this daughter and this hurricane. Um, 
I'm curious, Josh, about the how as you wrote the the film. A lot, I think a lot of short films struggle to um, oversimplify things sometimes, um, and so I'm curious, kind of, how you worked around finding that balance between kind of simplicity and depth because I think this movie I think this movie operates on actually a really deep emotional level kind of really gracefully and so I'm curious how you approach writing it because there's not like a ton of dialogue in the movie um, and it is kind of you know it's about this little girl but it's also about you know the inspirations in the movie too and so yeah I guess if you could talk a little bit about the writing process and just you know kind of starting from that picture of the girl in the ocean and kind of fleshing it out from there. I'm curious how, you know, it really developed and maybe maybe some challenges, maybe some things you think, you know, were easier than you thought they would be. One of my biggest influences is like slow cinema. So like one of my mm -hmm. favorite films is like Stalker from Tarkovsky and a lot of slow cinema, like modern day is like Lav Diaz. And so for me, when I'm writing, I think keeping it simple and focusing on like very sort of mundane moments and like just holding on shots. Like I remember one of my favorite shots in the film is when she's just like picking up boards. Yeah. And I, and I think it's just like, it's such a simple thing and we're just watching her and we're at this distance. And I think there's sort of complexity and in, in simplicity and keeping it simple. I was really surprised when the film was received the way it was mm -hmm. because we it's literally at my it's it's it literally just takes place in my house. Yeah. And so I think just keeping it simple and it leaves a lot to like interpretation. Mhm. Mm like we don't really know the girl's name. We don't know what she really likes to do. We know her situation, but I think a lot of people are able to put themselves or like relate themselves to the little girl. You know, we've all been lonely before. Yeah. I have like the opposite problem. Like you said, like people have trouble keeping it simple, but I think I have a, I think I have a problem like, or I underwrite a lot. Mm -hmm. Like the screenplay was literally like one and a half pages. Yeah, I was curious. I was wondering was like, it, how close to, you know, it's seven minutes, but I was wondering how much. It was like, it was like one and a half pages. And it was just like, I wrote out the scene where she talked to her dad and then the scene where, where they're having breakfast and everything else was just movements. Like, just like Ethan, I like writing out shot lists. Mm -hmm. Hopping onto the idea of like the, the shots that he wrote, they were very descriptive in a way, but to actually add life to the shots, I feel like an element that I use a lot in filmmaking, especially, is pacing. Mm -hmm. If you can pace the film at a rate that makes it flow, per se, that can like take you up to highs, that can calm you down, that can give you little bits of breaks, I feel as though it can take you on an emotional journey. Yeah. So writing a shot of the girl is putting up boards onto the window you can see that as a single line, but that could be like a good 10, 15 seconds. It could be five seconds if you want it to be fast paced. It could be like two seconds if you want to just send the message and then move on. Mm -hmm. But however long you hold the shot for, I think gives a different impression, a different feeling. Like when the girl's picking up boards from, uh, from the garden per se, mm -hmm. 
right after we come off of the high of her floating in the ocean, right? I, I took an element from like Ghibli films per se, where mm-hmm. in the Japanese versions, they would use pacing and as an element to slow down the film after a big action scene. They would give you a rest period. Yeah. So it goes immediately from this very high high to a softer low low to bring you down. Like to bring you more into a more calm uh moment of time i think yeah i mean I it's think a, one go ahead go ahead a lot one thing that we did a lot on this set and a lot of our other sets are we just follow like we just follow the lead of our actors mm-hmm. like we went down to the river and she would just like start climbing on things and there's like this scene where she's like hanging on the fence and like there's like all these little unscripted moments and ethan does a really good job at just yeah. like like just point the camera like like the best acting is no acting so it's just like just following the actors and just having the sense to just shoot it yeah that's that's amazing and i love that you mentioned um you know the ghibli movies too because uh you know as soon as you said that it was like it was like something clicked in my brain i was like that's what this is exactly what it reminds me of because it is kind of this like you know, I think slice of life might be cliche, but it is just like, you know, the, the mundanity of of prepping for a storm, prepping your house for a storm or something um, is very like, you know, I can picture almost I could picture them doing this like in My Neighbor Totoro or something like there. Mm-hmm. There is like a huge windstorm in that movie. And it seems so, um, so similar. And for us, that's literally every year here in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we always get storm scares. So you got to buy the sandbags like everything man get bottle waters yeah oh man um i'm curious then you know talking about how you know important the casting was to the movie you know can you tell us a little bit about the process like how you you know found um the the girl the the mom everybody in it so i actually knew the girl because she's like a family friend ah and i was just like i just came up with you're like literally perfect for the film. Do you want to like, you just want to be in this small little project. We're shooting at my house with a few of my friends and she was just down. Nice. And she was pretty natural at it. That's awesome. Oh man. How serendipitous. Um, so the, the mom, you know, she's not in the movie a ton. I'm, I'm curious who that is as well. Is that just her mom or is there, or was that? An no, actual, that's like our, that's cast. like our actress friend. Okay. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, I guess to springboard off of off of the cast, um, I'm curious. You're kind of, you know, it, it sounds like there maybe wasn't even, may not have been, you know, more. Uh, let me rephrase that. It sounds like there may have been like a pretty a pretty light hand in terms of like actual actor direction. Um, maybe you know, if we're catching some kind of just you know them being about in the world. Um, but I'm curious because I think that the film does something that's really that I think is really hard to do um, like visually sometime. And that's like a character's introspection. You know, there's so many times where we, where we'll literally hear like an, like a VO um, like a voiceover narration of their inner monologue or something. But um, I think it's really hard to do. I think it's challenging for a film to show it really well and not kind of just like, you know, be the really big wink to the audience, like, this is what they're thinking right now. Um, and so I'm curious how you kind of walked through, you know, 
directing this little girl when kind of sometimes all she had all she needed to do was kind of sit and think you know and like just kind of take in the space around her so i mean if you could talk a little bit about that that'd be great well she has a great face for it (laughs) and um but a lot of it was just like we had a lot of i talked a lot with her before about like the mood of the film and what we were trying to go for so like when we're when we're reading lines it was it was like Let's keep the let's keep your um, voice sort of monotone mm-hmm. and like slow slow down your movements, and then it was just like a lot of it was like look off to the middle distance <laughs> and like just keep on that for a little bit. In regards to the introspection from the characters as well, uh, while a lot of it does have to do with uh, acting as well, I feel like uh, camera operation itself can play a role into helping show what the character's feeling Mm -hmm. like during the film whenever we have mostly close-ups of the girl i think we do it from a higher angle looking down at her which is usually seen as a sign of hopelessness or innocence per se it makes the character look more uh sometimes lost in thought depending on where they are and the Mm -hmm. angle can even shift that a bit as well so i think that may have also helped along with uh josh's directing for and you did more than just tell her to look in the distance. <laughs> but also that's where the one by one aspect ratio came in. Like she takes up like most on her close ups, like she takes up most of the screen. So mm-hmm. we're literally there, like right in her face. So Wow. Wow. That's um yeah, that's awesome. And and I'm glad that you mentioned because i I think that sometimes in in films like this that have you know, space to breathe, I guess. I think the camera does play a really important role. It almost is a character itself, you know, where the camera by proxy, the audience kind of, where it's like where it feels like we're all kind of standing out there kind of watching or something. So um, I love I love that you mentioned that too. In terms of the sound design was something I was noticing a lot really well too, because, you know, we have kind of the storm building, we have the storm when they're inside the house that we can hear it. Um, you know, how much of a process was that, was actually like creating that kind of soundscape in post? All of it. <laughs> all of it. Well, sound design at the time was one of my favorite things to touch upon to actually work. Building the environment, I think it's very, very important and a lot of people don't give it enough credit. Mm-hmm. You can you don't feel as though you're in a place unless the place feels as though it is real. Mm-hmm. Per se, sorry, like um, if a storm is coming, you expect to hear things like storm noises. You expect to hear things like rain, per se. But a lot of people put that to the back of their mind. They don't actually think about it when they're in the moment. They just think, oh, this is supposed to be a storm. How can I make it a storm? Mm-hmm. Whereas a sound builder or a sound designer takes those elements and basically crafts an environment with it the sounds dictate where you are per se and And also use sound to like to tell the story too like with the whole chimes thing yeah we opened up with the sound of chimes the chimes come again when she talks to her um just her past father Mm -hmm. and the chimes come back at the end when she looks back up at the um skylight Mm the skylight that bookends our film. Mm-hmm. And then I think another important note is that sound design can dictate emotion. Sound design, depending on how loud a thing is, it can make you irritated, it can make you tense. And then taking those elements and 
basically elevating them with the story itself can drive home emotion. Yeah. Like with the, uh, the scene in which she's putting water into the water bottles using the hose. I started out with the natural sound of the, the hose putting water in, and then I start to fade in the ocean sounds very, very aggressively. Add like staticky noise to the background to like start giving you an anxious feeling, like what's happening, what's going on, and it starts to get louder and louder and louder yeah. until eventually it's basically screaming into your head and drops. All of the emotion comes to a stop mm -hmm. until eventually you're thrown back into the film. And I think that sound design there can basically it itself give you emotion you can listen to the sound without watching the video and still feel emotion yeah i mean it's like it's 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 literally mimicking like the a storm because you know you've got you know it gets intense 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 there's an eye of a storm nothing's happening it, it picks back up again you know it's it's that's really cool um, and I'm glad you mentioned the dad as well, because I had a question about that, because I loved just his hands is all we see, um, which I thought was a really like a, a way that I've seen, um, you know, call it prayer um, kind of uh, manifested in a visual way that I don't know that I've ever seen it quite like that before, um, but I thought it worked so well. Um, and I'm curious about the choice to only show his hands and not see like uh, an entire like in quotes ghost of you know of her father you know we only see those hands and not his face and so I'm curious um, what kind of drove that that decision that was the first thing that came into my head wow I wanted to see his hands appear telling her to work it was like her his hands were like dirty so it was just out of everything, all I wanted to see was those hands. Mm -hmm. I feel like those are so important. I think emphasizing on the hands is, itself as well, because the father, while he does play an important role, I think it takes away if we see his face, mm -hmm. because we would be only seeing him in that moment. And a lot of people would start to question more so who is this person right. than the role they play. So I think the hands themselves like give you more of the the inference that this is somebody important to her than showing the person themselves in that yeah. scenario yeah it's almost it's it's the case of um this is a really bad comparison but it's like a monster movie where it's like you know if we see too much of the monster it's not quite as scary anymore yes. it's the, it's a different feeling we're looking for but you, you kind of get what i'm trying to say <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> it's also very hard to make a ghost <laughs> like, like just like i think that's why I just like when i was writing out the shots i thought the hands would be really powerful but like thinking back on it i think it was just on the back of my head i'm like there's no way we can make a full body ghost look like not like weird yeah in this film as part of this movie we're making yeah <laughs> something totally different yeah <laughs> that's that's really funny um and so before we kind of start to wrap up um i am curious because i don't know the translation um what the significance of the quote um that we see on screen right at the end before the credits is the words at the end were e ala, e alu, e mm -hmm. and that translates to up together join hands wow and I felt that at the end of the film, she's in a different space. 
than when she was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think for me and what was happening on Mauna Kea and these protests, you know, it's about the com- it's about coming together and like having that solidarity. But I also, but for me, it was also just getting that same thing, but just within myself. I love that. You know, hearing it translated, I think that that's the, the like a big connective thread to the inspiration of the movie for the for the character for for you as the filmmaker, um, and and even like you know the collective of an audience watching it too. You know, I think it is kind of this, you know, almost a we're all in this together is to yeah. make it to make it more boring, a more boring version of that. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so, uh, yeah, so as we kind of are wrapping up here, um, I'm curious what, um, and I know it's kind of, it might be a weird question during kind of the weird times we're in right now, but um, do you guys have anything that you're working on now that, you know, we can, people can look forward to that you can tell us a little bit about? All day, we've actually just been editing a new film that we shot during COVID. Oh, cool. And it's not about COVID, so... Yay! <laughs> but it's called On the Olawai. Mm-hmm. You can follow that film's progress on Instagram mm-hmm. at On the Olawai. Um, and then, what about you guys? Where can where can people go to kind of keep up to date with you know work even beyond that? And you know, you guys as filmmakers, is that like if it's a website or a Vimeo or you know, where can people find you online? I usually just post my stuff on Instagram. So follow me at Josh Kokoko. And. You'll see most, that's where I update most of my stuff, mm-hmm. about my film stuff. And then for me, I also post most of my like progress and stuff on Instagram at Ether Productions. Nice. And then I have a YouTube channel in which I post like little clips of what I do every now and then. Also at Ether. Cool. Awesome. Well, well, thank you guys for, for taking some time to talk about um, the film. It was it was. A wonderful film. I'm so glad it was in the festival this year. Um, and yeah, just thanks thanks for being here. Thank you so much thank for having so us. Much. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for listening. For more information on Nifty 2020, the talented youth, and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram at Nifty Film. And for more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.